This morning we're going to get right to work and uh, we're going to take a look at Acts chapter 4 and we're not going to do the whole chapter because just, there's just so much there and uh, we wouldn't be out of here until about 3 o'clock at least. But uh, we are going to take a look at the first half of the chapter at least and um, I just want to pray and ask God to help me as I um, unpack his word this morning. And so why don't you join me? Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that your word is alive and it's active and it's sharper than, than a sword. Cuts both ways, cuts everything apart. And Father, you and your spirit build up again. And so Lord, this morning I ask you that uh, when I speak that, um, that you would be heard. And Lord, uh, you would sift out the stuff that, uh, that is unnecessary and uh, that everything that would be shared this morning would be for your glory. Amen. Amen. All right, well, let's get right to it. We're going to uh, turn to Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 14, and it's on the screen. It's a bit cut off. Well, actually, the scripture's not cut off. But anyway, we're going to start, and uh, just to pick it up, last week on Easter Sunday, Joe shared about uh, Peter and John going to the temple, and they run into this guy. He's out there begging, collecting money. And essentially, uh, the guy gets healed completely. And Peter starts to preach at uh, Solomon's, colonnade, Solomon's colonnade in the temple. And chapter 4 continues uh, with this dramatic scene. Just picture it. you got this guy who's like 40 years old, and all of a sudden he's completely healed, and he's jumping up and down, and he's so excited. And why wouldn't he be? Because... Uh, he's just been healed. And Peter is basically given the rationale for why this happened. And so um, the story continues in Acts chapter 4. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. Now the Sadducees, uh, just for your information, were Jewish leaders who didn't believe in the resurrection. And so... um, some people make that old corny joke, you know, they were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in resurrection. But they came upon them and greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and uh, put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. These guys have been there for quite a while. They got there just after the morning prayer, and they were there all day. So you can just imagine... Um, it wasn't the kind of thing where people were getting bored of hearing them. They were there all day teaching. And so uh, it attracted a bit of a crowd, and the leaders became annoyed. I like it, greatly annoyed, because they were teaching the people about Jesus. They arrested them and put them into custody. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Can you imagine? It's like Pentecost, what was the number at Pentecost that we heard? 3,000, right? So there's 3,000 at Pentecost, men, and now 5,000, so we got a 2,000 increase in one instance, so really quite incredible, and Bible commentators basically say that if there were 5,000 men, there was probably well over 10,000 who were converted to be Jesus followers in a day. 
like quite amazing. And so here we are, this fantastic scene, great throng of people, and they throw them in jail till the next day. And on the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. So these guys, these names uh, might be familiar to you if you uh, read the last few chapters of each of the Gospels. These guys appear in these because these guys were the Jewish leaders who basically um, turned Jesus over to be crucified. And when they had set them in the midst, so they, they stuck them right in the middle of the leaders, they inquired. And so one of them asked, by what power... Or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him... This man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. Quite a, an amazing scene. And the thing that gets me... Whoops, what did I do, John? Oh, here we go. Oh, it's this I'm looking for. Okay. Uh, the thing that amazes me here is, you know, uh, they, ask, they ask Peter, like, okay, what's going on? And I think they weren't expecting the response they got from Peter. I think they were thinking they might have to pull it out of them. I think, I, I don't know, maybe, just maybe, uh, they might have heard about Peter denying Jesus before. I don't know. And they may have been expecting uh, Peter to cower under. But without any prompting at all, what does Peter do? He just gives it to them. He says, well, you guys are the ones. You're the ones that turned him over. And Jesus is the one who healed this man. Really, really powerful scene. And this morning, if you're, uh, if you're someone who likes to have a title to go by, this morning the message is basically the impact of the Spirit and the three R's of the impact of the Spirit. So the first one, and I don't know if this projector can be adjusted. I don't know if it's a projector or my computer, but uh, maybe, John, you can help me. Because I, I don't know if... I... No, it's not... It's. It must be me. Okay. Well, point number one, the first R is radical. When the Spirit, when the Holy Spirit impacts us, we become radical with a purpose in community together. So that's point number one. So if you can't quite see it on the screen there, that's what it says. The Holy Spirit makes us radical with a purpose. And so the Scripture verses, there's two verses I'm using here to illustrate this point. Teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John 
and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. So, point number one, you will be a teacher. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, when He fills you, you have a radical call. And first of all, you're a teacher. You may not think you're a teacher. Do you think Peter thought he was a teacher? Peter was uneducated and a common man, just like us. In fact, he was probably more uneducated than all of us. Really. I mean, he was pretty brash, wasn't he? But he became a teacher literally overnight. He became a teacher overnight. The fact is, is that when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you become a teacher. And first of all, we have to lead ourselves. We teach ourselves. We teach ourselves, remember, under the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. But we're called to teach ourselves. We're called to lead ourselves. Every one of you in this room, regardless of what your background is, how much education you have, you're a teacher. You're a leader. Every single one of you. There's no one here in this room that should say, I'm not a leader. You're a leader. If you lead nobody else, you've got to lead yourself. But you know what? Invariably, when you lead yourself, you're going to, eventually, you're going to lead others. I'm not suggesting that you might lead a church. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that you'd lead a home group. I'm not suggesting that you'd lead a number of churches, overseeing a number of churches. I'm not suggesting that. But you're definitely going to be a leader. You'd be a leader wherever you go in your workplace, in your school. And sooner or later, you're going to find that as you submit yourself to Christ and to the Spirit of God in your life, what's going to happen eventually is He's going to equip you. He's going to equip you to do something else. You see, Jesus said, I won't leave you as orphans. He said, my Spirit will teach you all things. It's my spirit that's going to do it. You may not think you know anything. You might, be, you might think you're dumb as a post. But the bottom line is, is the Holy Spirit is going to teach you things and bring things back to your mind that you saw and read. So He brings things back to our mind. You might have, I mean, He'll even bring stuff back to your mind that you read 10, 15, 20 years ago. Like, I know people who, who uh, grew up young, and they, they were Christians. They, they became Christians when they are really young. And then they kind of meander away from the faith. And they go away from the faith for years. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit draws them into a deeper relationship where they understand more completely God's grace. And it's not that they weren't Christians through that period of time when they didn't hear they were just off perhaps in that wild pasture or perhaps they were in that prison stable take your pick and all of a sudden god gets a hold of their lives and scriptures words from the bible that they had learned when they were kids all of a sudden boom they're coming back into their mind i know people that had that happened to them. 
I wish it would have happened to me. I didn't even know what a Christian was until I was 22. I didn't even, I had, I had no grid. But the fact is, is that God brings things to us. The Holy Spirit does it. He, he brings things to our remembrance. He teaches us. Jesus was really cool. He said, you know what? I got to go. I got to go. I got to leave. I, I can't hang around here. How, there's only so much of me to go around. I got, I got 12 guys with me all the time. And half of them, they don't, half of the time, they don't even understand anything I'm saying anyway. He said, I got to get out of here. I can just say, oh, Jesus. Yeah, you can just see him walking around. Oh, man. Like, no wonder he wanted to get alone and pray. He probably just wanted to get away from them. He's like, oh, they're so frustrating. I love them, but, ooh. I got to get out of here because when I leave, when I leave, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to pay for their sin. I'm going to be raised from the dead. Right? And then when I ascend to heaven, go back to my Father, only then, when I'm glorified, will I be able to pour out my Spirit to everybody. I mean, that was the promise of the Old Testament. Jesus said in John 7, 37, remember? uh, On the last and greatest day of the feast, you know, the high priest's got everybody's attention. There's thousands of people lined up. And he's got this big pitcher of water. He's about to pour it out. All silent, you know, pregnant pause. And then there's this radical Jesus. Filled with the Holy Spirit. And this high priest is ready to pour out the water. And he says, If anyone's thirsty! And everybody turns and looks. Who is this guy? You just hear the murmuring. Another pregnant pause. And then he says, you know what? If you're thirsty, you got to come to me. You come to me. And he was speaking of himself. He was speaking of his Holy Spirit that we poured out for us. He says, I won't leave you as orphans. Teach you all things. So we lead ourselves. We learn and we're taught by the Spirit of God. So we lead ourselves. And eventually we do something else. Eventually we get the privilege of influencing others. Look at Peter. He's influencing and annoying people. Right? He's an annoyance. Who's he an annoyance to? Is he an annoyance to those who are really thirsty? Is he an annoyance to those that really, you know, are at the end of the rope and lost hope and, and, and have no concept of, of love in their life? No. He's an annoyance to the power brokers. He's an annoyance to the religious leaders who want to maintain control to keep people in the stable. He's an annoyance to the ones that are saying, you know what, you've got to follow a bunch of rules. He's, a, he's an annoyance to the ones that are saying, you know what, you've got to do this and you've got to not do that. And you've got to follow what we say. He's an annoyance to them, Peter is. Well, guess what? The same Holy Spirit who inspired Peter on that day is the same Holy Spirit we have. We don't have like this new and improved Holy Spirit. We have the same Holy Spirit. He's not new and improved. But I look at some of the books coming out of some other country south of the border, you'd think we'd have a new Holy Spirit. We don't. We have the same Holy Spirit. We have the same God who's in existence, always and forever, eternal. He's the one who lives within us. And He gives us the words to say. And yeah, you know what? Sometimes 
the words that the Holy Spirit gives you are going to annoy some people. But they're, they're going to annoy the right ones. But think about, do the math. Now, I'm not a great math person. And if Sandy Slade were here, he'd tell me he was not a famously good math person either. He has that shirt. What does it say? Five out of four people have problems with fractions. Yeah. That's his thing, right? But I'm not real good at math either. But I can tell you this, that Peter annoyed a small bunch of religious leaders. But on that day, in a matter of hours, 2,000 men and probably about 2,000 to 3,000 women and children responded to the message of grace that Peter gave. So guess what? Under the power of the Holy Spirit, you might annoy a few people. They need to be annoyed. They really do. But in the annoyance, there's going to be a response from the ones who understand and recognize, you know what? I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. I, I, I don't have purpose in my life. And Jesus is preaching, or Peter is preaching about this risen Jesus. The fact that we're born separated from God. That that the whole purpose from start to finish, from, from Genesis to the, to the time that Peter was walking around, the whole purpose was to bring mankind back into relationship with him. I mean, if God could be sad, I think he does get sad. If God could be sad, I think the biggest thing that saddens him is, is when his people, the, the ones that he intends, the ones that he's calling, when they, when they just don't respond. Because he longs to be with us. He longs to, like this morning, it wasn't just us being with God, it was God being with us. Isn't that the cool thing? Is, you know, it's, it's, like, it's like we get to tell God how great he is, we worship God, but you know what? I think it's really neat when God speaks to us. He responds to us, right? He responds to us. God, he, what he does, he resists the proud and he embraces the humble. What's the definition of humility? I, I think it's the Gary Glant definition of humility, but that's okay. And I might have ripped it off from someone, and I'm not, I, I guess I can't apologize for it. But really, the definition of humility is nothing more than knowing that I have to be dependent on God. That God is the source of my life. That God is the one that, that gives me hope and purpose. And, and if I walk with that attitude, and sometimes I blow it, folks. Sometimes I, I venture out into my own and I think I can do it better myself. I think I can be the, the master of my, of my fate and the captain of my soul when I listen to that old Desiderata poem. You remember that one? That was a rage back in the 70s. You probably date me. That's okay. But, you know, what's that? Yeah, Desiderata, you know, an Invictus. I'm not the captain of my soul. I'm not the, I'm not the master of my fate. God is. And when I venture out and try to do my own thing, I make a mess of it. Bottom line is, I have to be dependent on God. And these people that turned their lives to the living Jesus through Peter and the Holy Spirit were recognizing their need of Him. They're saying, you know what, we need, we need we're so thirsty. I mean, they're drier than a cork boot. You can just say their souls were just crying out for the real living God. And they respond. Secondly, you will proclaim a message worth telling. Filled with the Spirit, 
Peter is proclaiming a message that is worth telling. It's a message that, that has worth. It has purpose. It's amazing. I was in my office a couple of weeks ago and, and I had a, a prospective principal who um, was asked to come and job shadow me for a day. So I guess if you don't know, I'm a school principal. And uh, I laugh at that because I can't even believe I'm a principal of a school. I was like, that guy is so crazy. You know. <laughs> but here I am. I'm sitting across from this guy. And he's a friend of mine, right? And um, so anyway, he, he uh, somehow got on to some spiritual topic. I don't even know how that happened because I was just, you know, I, I just was sitting back and, and, I, and uh, I said, uh, yeah, I said, well, this is my day job. This kind of, but I said, I really, the, the biggest part of my life is that, is that oh, I think we were talking just about uh, purpose in what we're doing. And I just said, you know what? I couldn't do what I do today if, if, I, didn't, if I didn't on the way to work and in the morning before I leave the house just say, God, you have this day. I can't do this by myself. And I'm, t- I'm just, it's just pouring out of me. And I'm like, I'm just like, who is this guy, right? And he's, you know, it's not any big, you know, like he, I'm, I'm just, I, I'm waiting for the response. Like, what's going to be the response? Is the response going to be he's annoyed or is the response going to be, and he goes, I looked at him, I said, so yeah, that's it. He goes, that's, that's, that's really cool. I like that. And so anyway, for the next half hour, we just talked about purpose in life and God. God opens up opportunities, right? We have a message worth telling. Like, we have, we have people that we rub shoulders with every day, folks, that are, that, that are, that are just like these 2,000 men and 4,500 men, women, and children. We, have, we rub shoulders with them every day. And we see when God empowers us by His Spirit, it becomes pretty easy becomes pretty easy. It's very faithful. So we have a, a message of hope to give. Because really at the end of the day, we get to communicate the grace of God to people. People aren't used to grace. People aren't used to that. There's not a lot of grace in the world. Have you know, n- noticed that? There's not a lot of grace. Not at all. It's a pretty dog-eat-dog world. Just, just try posting, just doesn't matter what the topic, just try posting a blog post on any topic, anywhere. And I guarantee you within a few hours, you're going to have very non-gracious comments on your blog post just because. It's a non-gracious world we live in. But we have a message of grace to give to people. We have a message of giving out the unmerited favor of God, that message to people that, you know what, there's nothing you can do that can get you any closer to God. There's nothing you, you, can, you can do that's going to improve your relationship with God other than accepting the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ who actually walked the earth. I mean, that's why we do Alpha. That's why we do Alpha, because people need to understand and even know that there's a historical Jesus. They really even got to know that Jesus actually is a, was, a, was a walking human being. He was the walking God-man. 
who walked the earth, did all kinds of great things, said all kinds of great things. He actually exists. Notice I didn't say existed. He actually exists, but he actually walked the earth. Actually did all these things. And today, there's all manner of confusion out there that would suggest that he didn't even walk the earth. People don't even read today. And we need to be the purveyors of grace. We need to be ones to say, you know what? Yeah, there is a living Jesus. Here, come and, come and let me reason with you. You may not need even at first be able to use the Bible to reason with someone. You just use historical fact to start with. And sooner or later, people, you know, people I think implicitly or tacitly know that there's a truth. They just need us to be able to, to, to draw it out and say, you know what, there really is a truth. The thing, that you, the thing that you have implicitly believed for all these years, like there must be more, there's something bigger than me, guess what, there really is. His name's Jesus. When I became a Christian, I was 22 years old. You, many of you know my story. I was in university. I thought I knew it all. I was arrogant. I was, I was obnoxious. And I, and I studied all these religions and stuff while I was studying in university. I was a pagan worshiper. I mean, I was just crazy. And I made this commitment because I was so frustrated. I said, if I ever find out what the truth is, I'll follow it with my life. I remember making that promise, walking up Regent Street to my apartment. Two years later, two years later, I was confronted with the truth of Jesus for, the, for really the first time in my life. And it didn't make sense up here at all. Because the guy that was sharing it with me, had, he was a friend of mine that, that just kind of rolled in for a visit. But, and, and he only had like a grade 8 education. But he did what Peter did. He did the very same thing Peter did. Fortunately, I wasn't one of those ones that got annoyed by it. I was intrigued. I was thirsty. I was hungry. And he started to explain it. And then the Holy Spirit brings something back to me. You remember you said that you would follow the truth? This is the truth. It's like all of a sudden I remembered this promise. And as the more he spoke, it bypassed my brain. Not that we check our brains at the door, folks, but something in my life said, resonated, this is true. We communicate the grace of God. And the the really good thing about this, the cool thing about this, is that when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you'll have courage and boldness and the ability to do it. If you think you can't do it because you're not well educated, eh, wrong answer, you will be having the ability to do it. If you think, I'm a chicken, eh, wrong answer, Holy Spirit gives you the courage. If you think, oh, I'm just a passive individual, eh, wrong answer, God will give you boldness. It comes over you. You don't have to drum it up, you know. And I, more than anybody in this room, probably have fallen flat on my face in not responding to God's call in my life to be bold and to be courageous. I can be the biggest chicken going when it comes to this. I'm not afraid of much, you know. Isn't it funny? There's a lot of things we're not afraid of, you know. It's like, I, you know, you say, what's that new commercial on TV right now for, um, I think it's some, it might even be prostate cancer or something, and the guy standing there goes, I'd take a bullet for you. Do you see that one? See that commercial? No? 
It's all over the internet. Somebody saw it. If you're my age, you saw it, and you've, you have ears to hear, right? <laughs> this is, I'd take a bullet for you. I'd climb a mountain for you. And then the, the kicker in the commercial is, you know, would you go and get checked? No! Right? Do the math. I'm not afraid of much. But what's the thing that really kind of strikes fear into the heart of men and women? And it's the fear that comes from, we do have an adversary and an enemy that wants to derail us. The fear is, oh, you can't say that. Don't say that. You say that, you're going to offend somebody. Don't say that. You know, if you say that, you're going to lose your friends. If you live this way, you're going to lose your friends. No, the Holy Spirit gives us courage. You know what? It's not of your own strength. God gives it to you. God gives it to you. And we're not alone. We don't walk this thing alone. Really important to understand that we're with God, that He is with us. Christ is walking with us. It's just as if we were walking with Him, you know, through Galilee, really. We walk closer to Him than the disciples did because His Spirit actually lives within us. So cool. And so we're initiated and empowered by His Spirit. Secondly, the second point is, and can't see it, the second R is it makes you, the Holy Spirit and His filling makes you resistant to our postmodernism and our pluralism. There's salvation. And what kind of a statement is this? I don't buy this statement. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no one under the, no other name under heaven or given among men by which we must be saved. And so what the Holy Spirit does is He gives us the ability to resist and to be impervious to even the postmodern attitude that we live in today. So defined postmodernism, okay? So here it is. Really, this is just very brief. It involves the belief that many, if not all, apparent realities are only social constructs as they are subject to change inherent to time and place. See, so, well, Gary, start over again. Characterized by these kinds of statements, okay? So here it is. Have you ever heard, well, everything is relative. There's no truth. All roads lead to God, if there are any roads at all. You've heard that one? That's truth for you. That's really nice. And someone pats you on the head. That's, that's good for you. That's, those are postmodern type statements. Basically saying that there's no truth. The truth is relative. Bono from you too. I love it, you know. Agree or disagree with all of his theology. It doesn't matter. I love it in one of his older songs. He says, you know, the truth is the truth or the truth is a lie. So Bono, is a, he's a Christian. He loves Jesus. The truth is the truth or the truth is a lie. He's basically saying the truth is the truth. But the statement that there's no other name under heaven or earth that we must be saved by, Jesus it's quite a statement in today's day and age. The Holy Spirit gives us the ability to refuse to comply with that. It's only by the Spirit. You see, you will be convinced. You will be convinced of His work in your heart. When He works in your heart, you're convinced. There's no other false God in the world that can do what the Holy Spirit does. He works from the inside out. He comes to us. We don't go begging to Him. 
We don't have to go and grovel at God's feet, as it were. The Holy Spirit gives to us. See, the difference between following Jesus and trying to do all these other things is that Jesus gives to us. There's no other faith on on the face of the earth that is the same. It's characterized by that one major difference, that God seeks us. The Bible says that no one seeks God and finds Him. God seeks us. If you're hearing this this morning, God is seeking you. He's made all things new. When that resonates in your heart that, you know what, the old is gone, the new has come. I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. Like, when you have that in your heart, that makes you impervious. It should make you impervious to all roads lead to heaven. It should make you able to say, Jesus is the way. The fact that you are in Christ, that you have a new nature. I heard a, a guy, I saw a guy actually preach not long ago where he was talking about, you know, we, well, my old nature is doing this in my life. No, you don't have, the old nature is, like, you've died to that. You've got a new nature. You have a nature of Jesus. We are transformed by the renewing of our minds. We battle the flesh, yes, the world and the devil, but we have these New natures. It's the old, it's the old yes now, but not now, right? It's like we're not perfect, but Jesus has become for us our righteousness, our holiness, and our salvation. It says in First Corinthians chapter one that He is the one that gives us what we need. He is the one that lets us know that He is the way, the truth, and the life. As a result, you will be convincing. If you're convinced, you're going to be convincing to others. He was convincing, Peter was convincing to all those people that day. Not by what you're against, but what you are or who you are for. We don't go around talking about what we're against. At least we shouldn't. We go around talking about who we're for. Changes everything. Changes everything. Enough of, enough of that. I don't need, you know... If, if you're trying to detect phony $100 bills, what do you do? You look at the standard, don't you? You look, at, you look at the real one. You say, well, this is the real one. Everything else is measured by it. See, we'll be convincing and directing others to the peace and the joy and the hope, the fulfillment that we have in Christ. Nothing can refute your story. Nothing can refute it. Do you think anything could refute that 40-year-old cripple? And here he is running around, dancing and jumping and hooping and hollering. And like, do you think anything? Any, it says in the scriptures, they couldn't refute it. They couldn't. The, the, the evidence was right there. You can't. Nobody can refute what God has done in your life. Nobody. And by relationship, you see, it's by relationship. When we build relationship with people, They're convinced. They're convinced. See, you'll be prompted by the Spirit. You'll be prompted by the Spirit in responding to the culture. And the bottom line is the Holy Spirit gives you words and fills your mouth. Say, well, I I, I could never do that. 
Yeah, you can. Holy Spirit gives you the words to do it. He fills you. He teaches you. He empowers you. And you walk away and say, I can't believe I just did that. And what it does is it whets your appetite to do it more. It really does. He says, you know what? I, I, I want to do more of this. The thing is, is the Holy Spirit will then give you eyes to see those people. As you build relationship, he'll give you eyes to see the people that, you know, he's going to give you a window into their lives. How do you, how do you be selective when you're rubbing shoulders with hundreds of people a day like I do? I, I re- like, it's overwhelming, right? You know what I do? I just say, God, I just, I need to be directed by you. I'm going to just trust you. Takes all the pressure off. I don't have to do anything, really. I'm just going to be, I have a yes in my heart. I think that's the big thing. You've got to have a yes in your heart. You've got to say, you know what? Yeah, I have a yes in my heart to you, Jesus. And whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do. There was a guy at the gym not long ago. I was talking to him. And, and you know what? I just, I just have that. I don't consciously go around and say, I have a yes in my heart. I have a yes in my heart. I have a yes in my heart. I have, it is yes. I have a yes. Okay, God, it is yes. It really is. No, I just have that yes in my heart. Right? I don't know when it's going to happen. But having that yes in your heart, having the yes attitude. And at the gym just a couple weeks ago, I was talking to a guy, and one thing led to another in our conversation. And it's a to-be-continued story. It's not like, I'm not going to be in the gym. I'm not going to be in the gym and start doing the Peter thing. I mean, there's guys in the gym who are three times bigger than me. You know, and it's, it's all over, right? You know, it's like... What you talking about? You know, it's like, and I, I'd be liar to say I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. I'm afraid of some things, right? Especially when they're about 100 pounds more than me. But the bottom line is, right? You know, you got to be wisdom. You got to use your wisdom. You got to be. You got to be surgical. You know, you got to be surgical in what you do. I think. And there's times when it's going to be for larger, broader audiences, like this morning. But there's other times when it's surgical. And I think I'd get, dare to say it's most times. And lastly, thirdly, the Holy Spirit, when he fills us, he makes us relational with him, with God, and with each other. And they recognized they had been with Jesus. And very quickly, it was how they had been with Jesus more than the fact they were with Jesus. It it was all about the fact that they were filled and baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's really the game breaker. You see, because... Peter, after the crucifixion, he had walked with Jesus for close to three years. And what did he do? Some little servant girl bumps him off. I mean, this little servant girl said, didn't I see you with him? Don't know him. That's courageous Peter, right? After the crucifixion, he walked with him, saw him do this stuff. He took part in doing stuff with Jesus. Didn't I see you with him? Don't know him. That was Jesus. So he had been with Jesus, but that was the result. After the resurrection, wasn't it interesting? Tell Peter. Jesus affirmed Peter. Peter knew the resurrection Jesus. Was was that it? No, it wasn't it at all. Like, yeah, well, Peter, Jesus appeared to Peter at least six times that we know of in the scriptures. Really cool. He affirmed him. He brought him back. He's, you know, I love you. You know, like feed my sheep, all that stuff, right? Just go read it for yourself. Did all that really neat thing. But that wasn't why he was doing what he was doing on that day. 
because he still hadn't yet been filled with the Spirit. He still hadn't yet been baptized in the Spirit. But after Pentecost, Peter was like this. See, Peter was with Jesus. And it wasn't just for doing great things. It wasn't just for being polemical. It wasn't just for, for, for speaking the truth. He was with Jesus because he now could have intimate, close relationship with his father. The thing that, you know, if you were to ask me how I know that I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, it's that I just have this unexplainable, deep sense of God's presence in my life as my dad. How else am I going to explain it? And, I, and then I experience his grace. That's the greatest indicator to me. And I think Peter had that. I think he was so confident in, in that such a short period of time, he was filled with the Spirit, that he had this relationship with Jesus. See, Jesus sought out Peter by name. Jesus sought out Peter by name. He affirmed him. I mean, he took him fishing. You know, he had breakfast with him. And he, he, he was really up to like, Peter, you know what? He was, what Jesus was really saying is, the past is the past. Here you are. I'm here now. I'm, ris- I'm risen from the dead. I'm going to fill you with my spirit. You're never going to be the same. And he calls him by name. You know what? The bottom line is, if, even after all those failures, Jesus does that. He loved Peter. He loves you. He loves me. Jesus loves us enough. You know what? And he gives us a two-way relationship. It's not this one-way deal where we're just begging God all the time. No, God speaks to us. And in humility, I just submit to you this morning about about the stable and the the pasture. Like, God speaks to us. And he gives us things in a public meeting like this sometimes, and sometimes one-on-one to share with everybody. And if it's not me today, it's going to be somebody else. two-way relationship you see god calls us by name by his spirit he loves the sound of your name he loves the sound of your name like becky he loves to say becky i'm gonna embarrass you but you know what it's true god loves he says becky i just love you so much it's true absolute true eugene he says he, he like the bible says in zephaniah that he sings over us i can just imagine him singing Eugene. Like, we might think that might be like a bad country song, but no, he loves Eugene, right? He loves Eugene, and he sings his name, and he loves his name, and Cyril, he loves your name, and, and he, he just, he loves who you are. He, he loves the sound of your name. He loves to express it, and that's the way, that's the heart of the Father. He calls us by his name. He says, I want relationship with you more than anything. And what's the result? It's the result that others are going to know there's a difference in our lives because we know whose we are. We're secure in Him. We have closeness with the Father who loves us. What man, what woman wouldn't want that? It's a manly thing to love Jesus. As during worship, I was thinking like, it's a manly thing to love Jesus. And I know you think this is ridiculous, but the first thing that popped in my head First thing that popped in my head is this UFC fighter named Matt Hughes who loves Jesus. And I saw his picture, all bruised and bloody and everything. And he's up there after he wins the fight. And he goes, I love Jesus. You take your belt. I love Jesus. This guy could throw me around like a rag doll. I love Jesus. He weighs 150 pounds. It's like there's something manly about a man who loves Jesus. 
There's something womanly, godly about a woman who says, you know what, I love Jesus. I put all my faith, all my trust, all my hope and everything in Jesus. And ultimately, you see, all this relationship stuff we're talking about, it's for mission. It's for others. We can't keep this to ourselves. If I, found like I'm, if I sound like I'm, I'm over the top this morning, yeah. You can't keep this in. Whether it's surgical or whether it's in a big space, you can't keep it in. It should exude out of our bones. It should be something that just comes out of us. Being filled with the Spirit does that. It causes us to be radical. causes us to be resistant to the world and the spirit of the age. And it causes us to be relational with Him both ways. Let's stand together. I'm going to, uh, this morning, don't need music to pump us up. Don't need any of that stuff. Just going to pray and ask God to fill us with His Spirit. Are, are you with me? It's like, if you're a Christian here this morning, the Bible says be filled with the Spirit. To be honest, I ask to be prayed to be filled with the Spirit every day. It's not a pride thing. I just realize that I'm a loser without Jesus and being filled with the Spirit. I can't do it. And so, this morning, once again, because I already did it when I was going to say, Oh God, oh God, oh God, please fill me with your Spirit today. Help the words that I say this morning reflect your truth and not me. I don't want me to be out there. I want you to be out there. Some of us need to be really filled with the Spirit. And you know what? You're not going to sense anything, but you're going to notice something because He's going to open doors for you over the next two or three days. He's going to cause that to happen in your life. Okay, let's pray. Father, this morning, we just thank You for Your presence here. We thank You, God, that You are truth. And Lord, this morning we, we turn our attention to you. And, and Father, we ask, uh, according to what Jesus said, he says, if you ask for living water, I will flow in your inmost being like a river. And Father, this morning we ask that you would fill us with your spirit. Every person in this room, just ask him right now. If you're, if you're a Christian and you love God, just ask him to fill him with your spirit. Just say, God, would you fill me with your spirit? Some of you, you know what, you're going you're gonna to put God to the test in a sense too. You know, you're going to say, God, would just, I just need to see evidence of that. I need to see evidence of that. Father, would you fill me with your grace? Would you fill me with your mercy? Would you fill me with empowerment and boldness and courage? And Father, would you help me to even like you? I have a feeling this morning that some people here that, you know what, you're Christians, but, but, but you, don't, you don't really like God. You don't really love God, but you, 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 you count yourself a Christian. Father, would you help me to like and love you? Would you give me a relationship with you? Father, not just for me, but for others. Would you help me, God? Would you challenge me? Fill me with your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.